This is Lisa Smith Henderson, your host for Alma Am I Racist? And I'm delighted to have today with me Brianna Bellinger. Now, Brianna is a licensed social worker at a master's level, but she's also a friend and she's agreed to talk to me on what can white people do better. So, Brianna, welcome. Thank you. I'd like to ask you vis a vis Black Lives Matter, racism, sort mm -hmm. of where we are. What are the three worst things that white people are doing right now? Well, Lisa, when I think of this question, the three things that come to the top is shutting down. And that looks like someone ignoring and choosing comfort, right? So someone feeling so overwhelmed by the process that they choose to do nothing. So I would say that's probably one of the, the worst things that can be done right now because there's just so much to be done. And then the second thing I would say is being dismissive or deflecting. Oftentimes when I have conversations with even some of my own white peers and friends, there is this sort of normalizing, right? So it's like, well, what about the kids at the border? What about black on black crime? There's just kind of like this normalizing, like bringing up other issues to kind of deflect and take away from the fact that racism is a problem in this country. And right. then the, the third thing I would say is take over or try to fix. Some people have heard of it as like the white saver complex. It is great for you to want to be involved. It is, you ha it is imperative that white people are a part of this movement. However, cannot happen without Black people being a part of that process, Black people leading in because we know what, what is best for us. We know what works for us. We know what hasn't worked. And so any taking over would also not be very helpful. So those are the top three things I would say are probably the worst thing to do during this time. So in order to avoid that savior thing, what we need to do is take our lead from Black people. If we walk into a situation, we want to help, we take a back seat. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that we can do to really be helpful? You know, I really think it really depends on what your skill set is. I often talk about the movement towards social justice and equality as sort of a biblical frame of like the body of Christ, right? Where it's like a whole person. So there's the head, there's the toes, there's the fingers. All of it's important, right? So while you might think, oh, my pinky toe is not as important as my mouth, but let's if something happens to your pinky toe, your whole body is unbalanced. So I think of the movement much like that in the sense that we all have a place to play in it. So while you might not be a front runner activist like uh, Martin Luther King or MLK, you might be really good at engineering or technology and be a part of the movements and new things they're coming up with in that area. And I implore people to look at research and get involved in their community to see where they can be utilized. I've seen something as recent as maybe a couple of weeks ago where uh, Google was kind of employed a black woman to help with racial equality in the technology. I didn't even know that that was even something that existed in the tech field. I didn't know that was something that really existed. However, that's a whole field of people and a whole area where people are needed. It's hard to say because I don't think it's any one way. I think there's so many moving parts of this. And also, if we take sort of the worst thing whites can do, which is apathy, 
-hmm. what you're saying is one of the best things we can do is jump in, get involved with whatever speaks to you. Absolutely. And look, Black people are getting it wrong. So there isn't no like perfect way. There is no manual to this. There, are, there is some outlines from other leaders. And you know, for those who may not even have the time, because I'm not ignorant to the fact that, especially now during the pandemic, there's so much going on. And maybe your mental capacity can't even handle all of it, which is even more important to finding out like within your capacity, because you don't want to be burnt out or not effective in areas. It's not helpful if you just jump into something ineffectively. So really kind of figuring out what can you do? And maybe sometimes that's just resources. Maybe sometimes that's just networking. You know, it's not always looking like the Black Lives Movement of marches and protests, you know, challenging the police. It doesn't always look like that. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture, particularly. Correct. So, Brianna, have you seen the video with the woman that talks about the Monopoly game and white people going around 400 times? Okay, Will you, for people that haven't heard that, because to me, this is the greatest way to explain the difference between equality and equity. I think what we need is equity for Black people, not equality, because we don't have equity. And that little story sums it up beautifully. Could you tell us that? Essentially, there is a video, and I believe you can get it on YouTube, and her name is actually um, Kimberly Latrice Jones. She has a viral video going around giving an illustration of how Monopoly and the Black culture and Black people of America have been oppressed. So she goes on to have illustrations of like how Black people in America couldn't play for 400 rounds, right? So like imagine playing Monopoly with your children or your family, your loved ones, or whatever. And if you're competitive like me, I look forward to my turn to being able to invest in the property, to be able to build up uh, so that I can charge and make money and ultimately win the game of Monopoly. Right. So imagine having where you cannot play for 400 rounds. Everyone else in the room at the table, sometimes you're not even at the seat of the table, but let's say you are having a seat at the table for 400 rounds, which is pretty much what slavery was. You can't play. Then you get to play, right? And then what happens is that someone, well, we can use the illustration of like the massacres that happened where they burned down our Black Wall Street, where we were not able to vote, where we were having tax polls, lynching, Jim Crow, right? So then it's like you get to play, but then there are all of these barriers to come into play. It's just a really good illustration, a really powerful illustration of where we are in America, not showing any affiliation to any political group or organization. She's solely giving facts of like what has transpired in America. And so you can see just the injustice and unfairness of something as simple as a game that you would want to play and win, how you are unable at all parts to make any progress based on adversity after adversity from a group of people who benefit. So well, it's a really not great only that, But if you get to the game that late, all the hotels are gone. The property's yep. all been gobbled up. And every time you land on something, you've got to pay up. Yeah. I, Which leads I, to those 
you know, those income disparities that we talk about along the way, <laughs> there are taxes, right? There are ways that you can even benefit, right? Like let's say you land on the community chest or you think that you may get a little bit of hope, a little bit of a, a advance into your next role where you're, you're having to divvy up that money once again. Uh, and then here's the other part. And she mentions this in her, in her video where the part that's even more devastating, I guess, is that we oftentimes have to play for our impressor. So there are parts of this where in the mm -hmm. game, you know, I am the pawn, I am the labor, I am the one. So it's a great video. I definitely encourage people to go. Thank you for bringing that up, Lisa. I knew you would know about it. And it's like, mm -hmm. I, I can't explain it as well as you did. And I, I think, I don't know if it's just me, but I was very unaware of the history of slavery. I grew up in the deep South. I was told slavery was bad, but it's over. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Hitler was bad and that's over. Mm -hmm. And that was about as much education as I got. I think that we've been missing the boat, white people, in becoming educated, whereas many black people I know already knew all this stuff. I don't blame white people for that in the sense of our education system. It's not meant for you to know, right? It, that, so that goes to my second point of the worst thing that white people can do is that's that complacent, that's that normalizing, deflecting, right? Like there's so much, even beyond slavery, like I said, Jim Crow, the massacre of Tulsa, because black people haven't always been at a completely asinine and, and out of it. You know, there there were times when we were really doing great, when we built communities, our black dollar went far. And then black people decided you cannot have that and burn down towns of people, burn down our, our, our businesses. So, you know, it always throws me off sometimes where people are like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Or like, you know, if, that, if this one wow. black person did it, you should be able to do it. It's like, yeah, but this is after years of having to rebuild. There's so many stories that go, that comes even after years of slavery, where even in California, my home state, there are places where you couldn't even buy property. Like there were people who were intimidating and threatening black business owners in places like that we call beautiful now, like Santa Barbara and Santa Monica, where we go, we get to walk there now. But there are places there where they literally intimidated us and did everything in their power to force us out. So, you know, it, there's so much to learn. And that's the part where I know people who are educated, because I have some white friends who are very educated, probably even more so than myself on my history and things that we've overcome. But then there becomes this overwhelming and shutting down, you know? So there's, there's a need for a balance of, okay, there's all of this wrong, all of this evil that has happened. And it's not necessarily to the fault of the people who are currently here, because, you know, our ancestors have done things. We, we didn't get to choose who we are. However, you do get to choose how you act. You do get to choose from this point forward what you will do or not do to help others, to help a group like Black people who have been disadvantaged at every turn in America. Well, and I think, too, one of the things that we need to do is to own up and say, yes, I had an advantage because yeah. of the color of my skin. 
I had an advantage. Doesn't make me a bad person. Doesn't mean that I was handed every single thing. Because sometimes when I've said to people, white privilege, well, I'm not privileged. I worked hard all my life. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. The simplest explanation I could think of is I never had to tell my son, if you get stopped by a policeman, keep your hands on the wheel, don't reach for the glove compartment because he might think you have a gun. I don't even think I ever said anything to my son about getting stopped by the police. Never even crossed my mind. To, To go even further than that, the realness, I live in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I got to, I got the privilege and I even call it an honor. I know of my ancestors who literally were chased and threatened when they couldn't vote, um, let alone work at the polls. I got the honor to work at the polls. And prior to me working at the polls, I prayed for probably about a half an hour. The night before my husband and I, we sat down, made an evacuation plan. Like these threats are real to us. You know, so like even beyond the police, just this fear that there are people in this country today, 2020, who literally hate us for nothing more than how we look. I haven't spoken to them. They don't know who I am. They don't know what I do. And it is solely this preconceived notion that I am a certain way based on how I look. And so we have had encounters with the KKK in Stone Mountain. Um, what? Where, well, not personally, but in the sense of where we've been walking and they were rallying. And there was, or, or they had made threats as recent as the 4th of July of this year, actually. And this um, is 2020. This is today. This isn't like, uh, you know, 1965. And honestly, they are one group. But there, at least they, we can identify them to some degree. There are the people who I don't know who don't like me that are even more scary, you know. I had a good friend um, yesterday go and vote in Ohio. So she went and voted. She wore her Black Lives Matter shirt. By the time she came out of the polls, um, her tires were slashed. Three white men threatened her. They called her everything from a nigger to a racist to just all kind of absurd things in 2020. So these are not, yeah, these are- Because she was black. Because she was a black woman, I'm assuming, and the intensification that she had on a Black Lives shirt. We heard a story the other day about a woman whose daughter went to vote and put on her Black Lives Matter ball cap. Yep. Mm -hmm. And was confronted by four different people who were making comments. Yeah. Yeah. So a friend of my son's had uh, BLM written on the back of her bumper. She was real active in the movement. She's white. And this man called her an Antifa, the C word. Mm. But I mean, Brianna, what the hell is going on? What is wrong with people? I wish that I knew. And, you know, a lot of people, there's a really good illustration going around, even about what's happening, that Trump is not, he didn't invent racism. He is a symptom of it, right? So there's literally, like, our country has this disease. America has the disease of racism. 
And similar to COVID, I'll just use that. Okay. We were asymptomatic for a couple years, right? So we had the Civil War come up. There was like, there are times in our country where the symptoms were high. We were at inflammation, so to speak. For a good while, we were asymptomatic, especially during the Obama-Biden campaign and, and presidency, because people really thought we had moved forward. And I think that's where a lot of my white liberal friends or just peers and allies got really comfortable. Like, we are past that. Oh, yeah. And so we were really asymptomatic, so to speak, during these times. And so I don't think that any of this was necessarily non-existent and Trump just came out of the blue and brought it up. No, he is very much a symptom of what has existed. Honestly, I'm not afraid of him. I'm more afraid of the people who really support and believe in him. These hundreds of thousands of people, there are people who believe that women don't have rights over their body, that women shouldn't be allowed to buy property without a man, that Black people should not have to be included and have all of these different things to be advanced in in a way that we've experienced. There's so many disparities that it's almost like, duh, there should be some task force or financial plan in place to help move these people who've been disadvantaged for so long. But we have people saying, no, they don't deserve it. We have people saying, no, we, we shouldn't allow immigrants to come over from other countries who are running for seeking asylum from dangerous, violent dictators. We shouldn't allow teachers to make more money and educate kids equally, regardless of the taxpayer dollar. Like, like we're literally saying no to a lot of moral issues. It's yes, Trump, <laughs> but it's really, like I said, a disease that America is on right now. She's sick. She's, she's showing her symptoms. I love this analogy. I want to back up to something, though, and have you explain a little bit more. When sure. you said you and your husband came up with an evacuation plan, was that based on the fact that it was voting day? Yes, that and the various information and news cycles we were getting about these groups that are that were planning that if Trump didn't win, you know, they were going to hurt people. The fact that somebody had a plan to kidnap one of the governors of the United States, you know, there's so many reasons. And so honestly, in the Black community, this is not abnormal. This is it's abnormal that we've never had to do it prior to this election, but it's not abnormal that we did it as we were a part of thousands of people who made evacuation plans. We've contacted loved ones in um, more, what we would consider rural areas that are a little bit safer, um, that maybe we filled up our cars with gas. We went and got groceries so we wouldn't, in case there were gonna be rioting you know, of course, cause, you know, he basically told them to stand by, good boys, to stand by and stand down. And so we don't know what that means, but we know that being in a traditionally red state in the South, in a city that was once the headquarters of the KKK, that we could not just take the chance going by our day as normal. And so we have postponed, all, we usually do about five miles in the Stone Mountain area, sometimes at the actual Stone Mountain Park, postponed doing that. We will do our workouts either in home or just wait. In response to so many news outlets and the kind of history 
of where we are. So, and this is one of the things, this is another example of white privilege. Like when you said an evacuation plan, my first thought was, huh? And then of course, you know, it was like ding, ding, ding. That's why I wanted you to explain, this is real. This is very real. You live just outside of Atlanta, which is a major metropolitan area. And I'm guessing you live in a nice neighborhood. You live near Stone Mountain Park. And yet you had to make a plan, you and your husband, to make sure that you weren't in danger because of these white supremacist groups. Have I got that right? You're absolutely correct. It blows my mind. And as we're speaking, the votes are still being counted. The election has not been declared one way or the other. I assume this is something you're going to keep an eye on. Yes and no. I have chosen to not watch the news for my own mental capacity, almost like PTSD at this point for four years ago. And so I am not actively looking to see what the numbers do. However, I am for states and really in Georgia, certain counties, I am trying to, in my own self-care and well-being, I'm staying informed, but I'm not anxiously waiting. There's still work to be done. Like this is not over for us. And I think that's another thing of why I say one of the worst things that white people can do is shut down. Because regardless of who's in office, I don't want you to get comfortable that, oh, okay, great, Biden, and then we have a black woman for the very first time in the highest, one of the highest offices. And so, no, 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 the work is not done. The work, our work is far from being done. Yeah, it's um, like that, that just, we barely that just made a little crack of light. Right. That just means that we have given some Tylenol to our country. You know, like I said, that, that illustration of being sick. We put some, some, some big vapor rub. We got a humidifier going on. Symptoms are, some, some symptoms are starting to subside. However, we are still very much sick. We are still very much riddled with this disease. One of the things that you've talked about, private conversations, is maybe running for some kind of local office. Tell me about that and and how that may be something that you use to move forward as far as changing the country. Yes. Or the county um, or the whatever. Yes. So I always view myself as not interested in politics at all. Very much skeptical of the government (laughs) in the sense that they have just, they've been a part of a lot of the disadvantages to our Black community. They played an active role in keeping us oppressed. And so I was very much not thinking about it until part of this Trump, because I just thought, wow, if he can become president of the United States with very little to any experience in any capacity, um, that should <laughs> make you the highest, <laughs> the highest man of the world. Well, maybe little Brianna from Los Angeles can, who knows a little bit of something about people and how it works in certain, in some of these systems. And so I explored, it was crazy because I actually was very last minute in deciding whether or not I wanted to run. And so I haven't found a local county position, which is called a county commissioner that I was interested in running. And then once COVID hit, I really just decided it wouldn't be a good time. So things are changing for sure. 
And so oh. I feel like I, I've had several years of working with homeless population, families, even in the criminal justice system with juveniles. And I am very, everything I do is dictated by policy. Everything I did was dictated by the legislation that was put in place, what funding we got, to, if I can even refer them to certain services. And so I felt like being a part of a macro level type of social worker where I can help mold and amend some of those laws and policies that I would do a greater service to my community and people. So I'm definitely interested now going forward to see where I can best use my skill set to help and move forward just a group of people who are still suffering those disadvantages. And I want y'all to remember this name, Brianna Bellinger. And Brianna, when you get ready to run for whatever office, I want you to come back and we're going to talk about it. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I just think it would be awesome because like you said, your work as a social worker, you've been boots on the ground. You've been seeing this face to face. You know how these policies actually impact people. Right. Yeah. And then all of the unintended consequences. <laughs> right. One last thing before we go. I hear from a lot of my black friends, there's a level of exhaustion. So as white allies, how can we be sensitive to the exhaustion that our black friends are feeling right now? I think that acknowledging will be the, type, the top one. Acknowledging that white privilege exists, right? It's kind of like a gaslighting that happens when people are so offended and that racism doesn't exist, racism doesn't exist, just like it does, it's so evident. Simply acknowledging that this country was not built in our best interest in mind, there's advantages that you have as a white person, and this is in general, right? Some okay. exceptions to this, there, there are people who definitely have had their own fair share of disadvantages, but in general, white people have inherited the ability, just the opportunity, even if you weren't, you didn't have it, there was still the opportunity with no barrier to wealth and education and acknowledging that we as Black people are exhausted and tired. And some of us have gotten some rest and are ready for the next fight. And some of us are simply trying to figure out what to do from one day to the next. And so, you know, we're not a monolith. As Black people, we all are different. And there are some people who even disagree with me, even in the Black culture. Right. And so just as you would do with any good friend, acknowledge that you see tapping to their people. Acknowledge that you see the disadvantages of their people. And make yourself open and available, if they want to, to a conversation some dialogue to resources that can benefit and help in the situation. But it simply could start with, I, I hear that you're exhausted. This has been a really Absolutely. trying time recently. And I, I'm just learning how bad it's really been. And I'm sorry. That and would be absolutely appropriate. I have a psychiatrist friend that talked about during World War II and the doctors and the nurses and how they worked nonstop, but they didn't experience burnout because they felt appreciated and they felt supported. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is in the black community, there's burnout because there hasn't been support 
and there hasn't been appreciation for the hard work that you've done, that your ancestors have done, that people that have been doing for hundreds of years. Yeah. Does that sound right? Sounds absolutely right. And it looks different for all of us. And there is what I like to say, even a a war on our mental health. Could you imagine the people who constantly are being kicked down, told that they're not being kicked down, and told to stand up for yourself, told to get back down, told that this isn't happening to you. You know, it's like almost can drive you to insanity. And so living in a war zone and somebody is telling you you're at Disney World. Basically. They're telling you that this is normal. Fine. Just work harder. So the let's not throw platitudes at any of of this that's not appropriate absolutely wow thank you brianna you have given me a lot to think about and i think some real good concrete ways because i I do have white friends that are like what can we do what can we do and so what i'm trying to do is give them some direction so they don't have to wear out their black friends going, what do we do? What do we do? Right. So right. I can say, okay, well, here's Yeah, don't ask suggested. them what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, you know, that, that's a part of the exhaustion is us having to come up with our own answers and fix this problem, um, you know, immediately. It's like, we are figuring this out as well. We want to be a part of the process. However, that's not the way to go about it. So definitely just on a very small level, if you have any black people who you're friends with, even coworkers, you don't even have to be on the intimate level of acknowledging. I've had some coworkers just acknowledge and that just had me unclench my jaw and release my shoulders. Okay, you know, I'm not the only person feeling this. So yes, please acknowledge, say that you're there. And for some of us, like I said, we we're, we're a little bit more rested and we're, we're back on our feet in the fight. And then that'll be a good ploy for you to then intercede at that point of how can I help if they're telling you things that they're doing um, that they're going to be doing, you know. Um, but I really put that responsibility on my white peers and allies for you to do the research and really look into where your skill set um, and your passion best lies. Right. So the oppressor doesn't need to be running to the oppressed and going, how can I help you get unoppressed? <laughs> right. Yeah, unless, unless, right. Unless we're soliciting that. Unless we're right. saying, hey, we yeah. really need your help over here. Please and, don't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But we don't need to be saying, it's your, you fix this for me. Tell me right. what to do and I'll do it. Because to me, that's kind of the easy way out. Then that really requires no growth on my part. Because part of the journey is for me to go back and look at what have I done to be unsupportive and how can I change that? How can I educate myself? Absolutely. Absolutely. It really, honestly, for all of us, starts with ourselves. in our own personal journey to a level of awareness of what's happening. Once you've built up that knowledge base, you know, you can move on to other things. But I encourage for those who may be first starting out, this is their first kind of knowledge of like, oh, my God, all of this is happening. You know, like I said, it's so easy to get overwhelmed. So, you know, start with where you are and and, and educating where you need to be in this fight and how you can help. 
Brianna, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us. Thank you for even inviting me. This is Lisa Smith-Henderson. We're so glad you could be with us today for Alma Am I Racist? If you'd like to drop me an email, you can certainly do so. Alma Am I Racist at gmail.com. Visit our website to hear some of the other podcasts or go to where you normally get your podcasts. The website is almaamiracist.com. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you'll join us again next week for Alma Am I Racist?